Well, I'm not Terry, as you can tell. He's out. I'm filling in for him. Um, so if you have a Bible, um, open it. If not, there's one in front of you to the book of Romans. And we're going to be looking at chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Romans is a book that I've always been afraid of, but it's not all that bad when you study it. It's not as complicated as you think, but it is deep theologically and doctrinally. Um, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who speaks to us. And Lord, you, you could even speak through me, in spite of me. But Lord, it's not me here that we want to listen to. Lord, we want to hear what you have to say this morning. And Lord, we come because we want to worship you. We want to learn what you want from us, what you expect from us. We want to know how to please you. Lord, we know that this life can be short because after this life is eternity. And we often try and work to get into heaven. Lord, we pray that you would teach us and show us this morning what you require of us, what you want from us, and that it would be something that would be uh, just freeing to us as we gain a better understanding of it. We love you, God, and we ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've titled this message, God's Accounting System. God's Accounting System. When God looks at a person, for example, you yourself, when he looks at you, he either sees you as righteous or not righteous. He either sees you as his child or not his child. I would dare even say he either sees you as his friend or his enemy. But the question is, what determines that? What determines how God sees you? Is it... How many times you've been to church? Is it how many good deeds you've done? Or how well and how closely you've obeyed the Ten Commandments? Or is it based on how good of a person you are? In Romans chapter 3, the previous chapter, Paul stated that there is none righteous, not even one. Paul stated that all have sinned, and fallen short of the glory of God. So there's no one that is perfect. He also stated that a man is justified by faith. Very important words there. Now, the people that Paul is writing to are Jewish Christians who were saying that everyone had to follow the law of Moses in order to truly be a righteous Christian. And these Jewish Christians trusted in their adherence to that law And Paul needed to correct them on this doctrine of justification. Now, before we dig into Romans chapter 4, there's five words that we're going to see repeatedly that I want to define for you all. I want us to make sure we have a clear understanding of these five words before we read them. The first word we're going to see over and over again is the word righteousness. Righteousness. That's going to come up eight times in Romans chapter 4. Righteousness is a condition acceptable to God. It is the state acceptable to God which becomes a sinner's possession through faith in Jesus Christ. More specifically, 
It is being acceptable to God. And you can only get that through faith in Jesus Christ. That is righteousness. The next word we're going to see there in chapter 4 is the word justified. Justified only shows up twice in this chapter, but Paul does use it, I believe, 14 times in the book of Romans. But it's a very important word. And it has to do with the first word, righteousness. Justified means to pronounce righteous, to make or declare someone righteous. It is to judge or pronounce righteous and therefore acceptable. By the way, justified. There's only one person in scripture who can justify. And it's always and only God. Only God can justify a person. And so justify, I like to say it's just as if I'd never sinned. Only God can do that. So righteousness, justified. The third word we're going to see is the word believe or believed. We're going to see that six times in Romans chapter 4. And it simply means to think to be true, to place confidence in, or to trust one's word. Like, I believe you. You know, I've been... Uh, trying to tell myself I need to eat a little less because I'm, I'm getting a little pancita, right? And so I've been like, man, I've been doing it. I got on the scale the other day. I've gained five pounds, right? And it's like, I don't believe you scale, but it's, you know, it's telling, it doesn't lie, right? Sometimes I don't want to believe it, but it's to believe something. It's to place your confidence and you trust in it. The fourth word has to do, and it does tie in very much with the word believe. The fourth word is faith. Faith, you're going to see it ten times in Romans chapter 4. Faith means to believe to the extent of complete trust and reliance. To believe to the extent of complete trust and reliance. More simply put, In Romans chapter 4, faith means to trust in the promises of God. That is faith in Romans chapter 4, to trust in the promises of God. The last word, the fifth word that we're going to see, it's translated three different ways in Romans chapter 4, and we see it 11 times. It's translated as accounted five times, imputed five times, and counted one time. It means to count, to compute, or to calculate, to take into account. It means to put into one's account or to credit to one's account. To credit to one's account. And Paul uses it as benefiting the person who believes. Five very important words. Now, back to my question. What determines whether or not God sees you as righteous? Paul answers that, and he shows us in Romans chapter 4 that, first of all, it's not by works. He shows us, second of all, it's not by circumcision. He shows us, third, that it's not through the law. And fourth, he says, it's by faith according to God's grace. And he's constantly making that point. It's by faith through God's grace. Even in the first three points when he's saying it's not because of works or circumcision or the law. He's pointing out it's by faith. It's by faith. It's 
through faith. Now, before we start reading Romans chapter 4, Paul brings his readers to consider Abraham, who the Jews considered their father, Father Abraham. And he brings Abraham to their remembrance to prove that faith has always been what makes a person righteous. Faith has always been what makes a person righteous. In Genesis chapter 12, God told Abraham, go to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make you, or I'll make your name great. That was a promise that he gave to Abraham. Abraham left. He did what God, he believed God, and he went. Fast forward several years, and he still didn't have any children, much less a nation. And he talks to God in Genesis 15, and he says, Lord, what will you give me seeing that I go childless? And the heir of my house is a servant. God spoke to Abraham, and he told him this. This one shall not be your heir, but the one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then God took Abraham outside. He brought him outside and he said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And God told Abraham, so shall your descendants be. In other words, that is how many descendants you will have. And it says in Genesis 15 verse 6 that Abraham believed in the Lord And God accounted it to him for righteousness. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and look at the first five verses of Romans chapter 4. Paul says, What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So, when was Abraham counted righteous? Was it when he left his home that God declared him righteous? No. Was it when Abraham took his son Isaac to Mount Moriah and offered him or so that he could offer him as a sacrifice that God declared him justified? No. God declared Abraham righteous when Abraham just simply believed. He believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. It says there in verse 2 that if it was because of works, he could have maybe boasted, but not before God because God gave him the righteousness. It says um, that when you work, it's not a gift, it's a debt. You know, when you punch in, at the end of the week, you punch out and you expect a paycheck. Amen? Amen, right? God will not be indebted to anyone for righteousness because of their works. God will not give you righteousness because of works. That's not how God's accounting system works. God will only give righteousness because of the love in his heart and because of the faith of you receiving what he wants to give you. Nothing you can do will put God in debt of righteousness to you. In God's accounting system, God justifies the ungodly because there is no godly for him to justify. 
And here's what's interesting. He puts our sins on Christ's account that he might put Christ's righteousness on our account. That's the way it works. Paul goes on to use the example that David gave us. Look at uh, the next few verses. Romans chapter 4 verse 6. He says, just as David also described the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. And this is a quote from Psalm 32. And this psalm, just so you know, David wrote after he had sinned with Bathsheba and God had forgiven him. And it says in verse 7 there, quoting David, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. You see, in God's accounting system, God does not impute sin into a believer's bank account. Think about that. In God's accounting system, he does not impute sin into a believer's bank account. That phrase there, that he will not impute sin, is in a double negative. It is literally, he will not under any circumstances impute sin into the believer's bank account. He only imputes righteousness. That's why David says, blessed or happy is the man whose sins are forgiven. It's like he was saying, happy is a man who's not trying to prove his worth or gain God's blessing. Happy is the man whose sins are forgiven. And so again, righteousness, it's a gift. It's a gift of God. It's not the result of human performance. And we have to be careful now. It's not having faith in your faith. Because I think we can fall into that trap too. You can't say, well, it's because of my faith. Because my faith is so full of faith. My faith, God has no choice but to give this to me. No, it's not because of your faith. It is the one who has faith in the goodness, in the loving kindness of the Lord who is righteous. Such is the one who the Father says this. He says, because you're not trying to earn my favor or earn my blessing, because you're just believing in who I am as the justifier of the ungodly, God says, I pronounce you righteous. I pronounce you righteous. And so faith is responding to God without reliance on personal effort. That's faith. Responding to God without relying on your personal effort. Now, just a little side note. This does not imply that once we are saved and we have the Holy Spirit, that our lifestyle is not important. That's not what we're saying here. I'm not saying that you can declare that you have faith and continue to live a habitual lifestyle of sin. Those two don't mix together. The goal of Christianity is not only heaven when we die, but it's Christ-likeness now. It's Christ-likeness now. We're not saved or justified or given right standing by our works, but we are redeemed unto good works. But isn't it amazing that God does not impute sin into a believer's spiritual bank account. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Psalm 103 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. 
God forgets the believer's sins. There's a man that went in for an interview, and he was sitting down with the boss, and the boss said, what do you think is one of your worst qualities? And the man responded and said, well, I guess it's that I'm too honest. And the boss said, well, hey, you know, honesty is not a bad thing. I think that's a good characteristic to have, to which the man responded, you guessed it, you know, I really don't care what you think. (laughs) But God forgets our sins. He forgets us. He he forgets the mistakes that we make. And so um, it's not by the law. I'm sorry, it's not by works. He goes on to say it's not by circumcision. Look at verses 9 through 12. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Well, not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of the circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. So why was circumcision given? It was given as a sign, as a seal. Circumcision didn't add to Abraham's righteousness. It merely attested to it. And so Paul stated that it didn't happen when God declared him righteous, when he was circumcised, it happened before that. And here's what's interesting. This, I kind of giggled a little bit at this. From the Jewish point of view, Abraham was a Gentile when he was declared righteous by God. He wasn't even circumcised. Hadn't even happened yet. It wasn't until 14 years later that he would be circumcised. And so it's not by circumcision. And again, we see in three verses of those that we just read, 9, 11, and 12, that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. Circumcision did not confer righteousness. It only confirmed it. And there's that phrase there in verse 12, for those who also walk in the steps of faith. That phrase is a military term referring to soldiers who are marching in single file. So it's, it's those who, whether you're circumcised or not, it's who those who walk in the footsteps of Abraham in a single file manner, who have that same kind of faith, who just believed God that gained that righteousness. Paul said in Colossians 2, when you, come to, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, which was the cutting away of your sinful nature. So it wasn't through works. It wasn't through circumcision. In the next few verses, Paul points out it's not through the law. Look at verses 13 through 15. He says, For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, 
but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void, and the promise is made of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. So the law brings about wrath. Why then was the law given? Why the law? Paul wrote in Galatians 3.19 that the law was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. To show people their sins. And so you think about the law. If you try and attain righteousness by performing or trying to adhere to the law, you're going to fail miserably. Take the Ten Commandments alone. Right? Have no other gods before me. No images. Right? Do not use the Lord's name in vain. Uh, let's see if I can remember these. Remember the Sabbath to keep, them, to keep it holy for the Lord. Honor your father and your mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Uh, I'm showing off now, but I think I forgot the ninth one. Um, do, not commit a, uh, do not bear false witness. And the tenth one is do not covet. Now, you think about Jesus. He said, you know, it's not just the act of committing adultery he said if you just lust after a woman in your mind in your heart you are guilty of adultery he said it's not just committing the act of murder it's if you have hatred in your heart towards somebody you are just as guilty of murder and so with that in mind who here can say that they've perfectly kept the law nobody the point of the law was to show us that we are miserable wretches, sinners. Doesn't matter where you're from, what your last name is, what country you live in, whether you're white or black or a two-tone farmer, right? It doesn't matter. You, you, you have not kept the law. And so he says it's not by the law. And the fourth thing that Paul goes on to prove from here throughout the rest of the chapter, is that it's only through faith. Let's look at a few more verses, verses 16 through 17. Paul says, Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of of us all, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, that is, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which are not or which do not exist as though they did. It's only by faith. And so, faith is helplessness reaching out in total dependence upon God. Righteousness to all is promised if they have the same faith that Abraham had. Now, what was the promise that was given to Abraham? It was simple. Abraham, go and count the stars, and if you can number them, that is how many your descendants will be. And it says that Abraham believed in the Lord, and the Lord accounted it to him as righteousness. And so, God was the object of Abraham's belief. Abraham believed in the Lord, and so God accounted it to him 
as righteousness. And so faith trusts in the God of promises, which he, of course, fulfills. God is referred to as the one who gives life to the dead. That's referring to how Abraham and his wife Sarah were so old. I mean, they were like 60. No, I'm just kidding. They were 100. (laughs) Kidding. They were 100. Abraham was 100 years old. Sarah was, I think, about 90 years old. And they were, so to speak, dead when it came to being, being able to reproduce. But God brought life to them so that they could. And it says that God is one who calls things that don't exist as though they did. And that is referring to all the descendants that Abraham would have when actually at that very moment he had not a single one. That is the God. That is the object of Abraham's faith. Now, Paul says Abraham believed contrary to natural hope. Look at verses 18 through 20. It says, Abraham, who... Contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith giving glory to God. And so in spite of the humanly impossible situation, it says Abraham did not waver through unbelief. That word waver means to be divided. It means to doubt. It means to be divided in one's own mind. Abraham never doubted, not even a little piece of his mind doubted God's promise. Look at verse 21. It says, and being fully convinced that what he, God, had promised, he was able to perform. Being fully convinced. Abraham was fully convinced. And so we see Abraham's faith here. In verse 18, it says he had, uh, he in hope believed. In verse 19, it says he was not weak in faith. In verse 20, it says Abraham was not divided in his thinking. In verse 20, it says he was empowered by faith. And here in verse 21, it says he was fully persuaded that God had the ability to do what he had said. It's interesting when you think about this. Abraham was fully convinced God could do this. Now, question. What did Abraham have to base that on? Think about it. He didn't have a Bible to read. He didn't have a church to go to. He didn't have Bible studies that he attended. He lived amongst heathen. He only had one thing, and it was simple. He had the one simple promise of God, and he believed it. That's all he had. He believed it. Abraham was fully convinced. Look at the verse 22. It says, And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. There's that word again, accounted. It was credited. It was put in his spiritual bank account. It was accounted to him for righteousness. A few things about Abraham. 
Abram was the original name given to Abraham, which meant exalted father. So for the first hundred years of his life, he must have had his fill of taunts like, hey, exalted father, so how many kids do you have? But it got even worse. At the age of 100, the Lord told Abram he was going to change his name to Abraham, which meant father of many nations. Yet he still had no children. But Abraham still didn't stagger. He didn't say, I refuse to go by that name. He didn't say, call me father wannabe. No, he said, call me father of many nations. It's going to happen. Now, a few things about Abraham's faith. He lived out his faith, and he didn't live it out perfectly. And I just want to bring this to our attention. Remember, his son Isaac was born 13 years after the promise, after Abraham had tried to give his wife Sarah away twice, after Abraham had a son with Hagar, Sarah's Egyptian handmaid servant, or handmaid, and after both Sarah and Abraham had laughed at God's promise. And so they didn't have a perfect faith, but they had faith in the perfect God. And it's interesting. There's something more interesting about God's accounting system. And you can come correct me after service if if this is wrong. Okay? Maybe you've got a list going. I don't know. Um, Although the Old Testament tells it like it is, including the flaws and the failures of the Old Testament saints. The New Testament never once mentions any shortcomings of any Old Testament saint. Why? Because the blood of the Son causes the heart of the Father to forget the sins of the saints. Isn't that beautiful? And so, verses 23 through 25 It was imputed righteousness. Look at verse 23. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. But also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. Who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification so we are accounted righteous if we believe in him who raised Jesus from the dead Wearsby said as long as the lost sinner thinks he is strong enough to do anything to please God he cannot be saved by grace it is when the lost sinner confesses that he's spiritually dead and unable to help himself that God can save him And so when is a man saved, as we call it? Or when is a man declared righteous? It's not when he follows God's call obediently or even offers himself sacrificially, but when he, like Abraham, simply says, Lord, I believe you. I believe what you say is true, that I am righteous in Christ Jesus and that my sins, past, present, and future, are all forgiven. The person that truly understands that salvation is about grace will find themselves praying and worshiping and studying and witnessing, not because they're trying to earn God's blessing, but because they're responding to the one 
who's already been so good to them. That phrase there, that the faith was in him who was delivered over because of our transgression, is a legal term, which meant to hand over someone so that they could be punished. And so you see, Christ's death as God's sacrificial lamb was to pay the redemptive price for the sins of all people so that God might be free to forgive those who respond by faith to that provision. Christ's resurrection was a proof of God's acceptance of Jesus' sacrifice, and thus God can credit his provided righteousness to the account of every person who responds by faith to that offer. It's very simple. I hope I haven't complicated the simplicity of what Paul has said in Romans chapter 4. Our salvation is based not upon some secret. It's not based on some elite understanding. Or it's not based on something we should be doing. But it is a free gift Grounded not on behaving, but believing. Not on trying, but trusting. Not upon doing, but upon what Jesus has already done. Have you been working to gain God's approval? Ask yourself that. Have I been working to gain God's approval? You know what? It's not going to work. You can't do it. You cannot gain God's approval. Paul himself spent all of his life before he met Christ, living by the law, according to the law, a Pharisee of the law. And he said in Philippians, what things were gained to me, these things I have counted loss for Christ. I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Now, when I read stories about Abraham, and perhaps you can relate to this, you read stories about Abraham and you think, man, it's so cool that Abraham, he was so lucky. He had this promise and it was directly from God. And it was so cool. Man, if, I, if God gave me that kind of promise, I mean, yeah, I would. I would do the same thing too. And I'm realizing this week that we have the same privilege of a promise from God. We have that same privilege. You have that same privilege. Abraham believed God. He was fully convinced that God could do what he had promised. And because of that, God counted Abraham as righteous. God's promise of righteousness through faith in him and Jesus is given to you. Do you believe God? Do you believe God? Have you trusted his promise to impute righteousness upon you if you believe in him who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead? Consider that. Let's pray. Lord, being yours, being righteous, is not complicated. It is, however, a decision. It is a choice. 
it is something that we either choose to believe you, we choose to trust totally and completely in you and your promises, or we don't. And Lord, we thank you for making it so simple. And Lord, we, we don't want to make the mistake of rejecting what you want to give us. And that is righteousness. Because apart from you, God, apart from what you did for us on the cross, we have no way of standing before you as righteous. There is no way that we could rack up an account of good deeds that would that would nullify our unrighteousness. There's, there's too much sin in us. It can't be done. We can't work for it. But Lord, you did all the work for us. You lived the perfect life. You were the sacrificial lamb who died on the cross for our sins and you rose from the dead also that we could just believe in you to have this gift that you want to give us of righteousness. With every eye closed and every head bowed, Paul said, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you've not done that, then you have to do that. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. We're to choose this day whom we will serve, whom we will believe. And so choose God. Stop trying to work to gain his approval. Just Receive what he has to give you. If you want to do that, you say this simple prayer to him right now in your heart. You pray to God and you tell him, Lord, I believe in you. I believe in your promises. I believe in your promise that if I would put my trust in you, you would give me righteousness, forgiveness, and eternal life. And I receive that in faith. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and stand up and let's praise God for his gift of righteousness. Amen.